You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where it's a nice, cool, sunny summer afternoon after a night of thunder boomers in the area. Fortunately, we didn't get the hail that they got over in Santa Clara here locally. I saw a picture of at least an inch and a half hailstone somebody had in their hand uh, on the internet. Uh, that doesn't do your paint job on your car a lot of good or, or, or your tomato garden. Uh, so we avoided that here. Didn't quite get the lightning strikes they got in Central Oregon. I think they, you know, thousands of lightning strikes over there. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, but it was a, a, a rumbly sort of evening and reminded me of being back east somewhat. You know, and you know, speaking of back east, you know, I, I, it just it kills me when people use what is typical weather situations and calling them somehow or another unusual and due to, quote, climate change. Um, you know, we saw the president trot himself off to Kentucky to, you know, inspect the, the recent flooding and talked about how the uh, inflation bill was somehow or another going to deal with all that. You know, you know, don't get me started on the inflation bill, but um, people forget that those, that Allegheny Mountains, you know, that whole mountain range on the East Coast, particularly in the states of West Virginia, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania um, have been, and even in, up in the New York, have been very susceptible to massive flash flooding over the years when they get certain weather events happening. And it's nothing new. The great Allentown flood of 1955 that was associated with Hurricane Diane, actually it was the entire Lehigh Valley, which included several other towns, just about wiped Allentown off the map. You know, you know, records of that are just incredible. I remember vividly because I was old enough to be around Hurricane Agnes go up the East Coast and basically flood Harper's Ferry, which, by the way, if you go to some of the historic buildings there, they've got markings on it where the mud marks were for various floods from the Potomac River and and the Shenandoah River come together there, flooding Harper's Ferry all the time. Um, Pretty spectacular how high those rivers got. And I think some of the highest marks were actually back in the 30s. 
you know, I, you notice these dates are the, the most recent date I'm talking about is 1972. And, and in 1972, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a whole bunch of those towns in the mountains, they, they had a lot of flooding. Ellicott City, Maryland was another huge flood that's way older than all this, quote, climate chaos. But we like to pick and choose in an event that really truly isn't unusual for the geography or that area of the country gets called out as something we ought, you know, because people have short memories and short lifespans, and they, they don't think back. 1972 for a millennial is way in the past. They don't remember Hurricane Agnes. You know, that just about wiped out the East Coast as far as flooding went. It wasn't, it actually, it was Tropical Storm Agnes when it caused all the flooding. It actually landed somewhere south, I think, maybe in, in North Carolina as a tropical storm. You know, it was one of those hit Florida, went out, came back in sort of things, and then, then went up the East Coast and stalled kind of in, in the mid-Atlantic region and really caused horrible flooding up and down. Um, but, you know, kind of like people not remembering the Ash Wednesday storm of 1963 that devastated the entire East Coast from Maine down to Virginia Beach, down to North Carolina, actually, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, just devastated the East Coast. Um, but I, I got other stuff to talk about today. But weather kind of got me started in that direction, so I'm going to try and pull a screeching halt, remind folks we are calling show. 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press one because that lets us know you want to actually get on the show, ask a question, have a comment, change a topic, whatever, rather than just listen to the show because we actually have people that call in and listen on their cell phone because they might not be where they have a good computer connection or whatever else. So remember, it's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 because that lets my call screener and producer extraordinaire, Robin, know you want to actually talk on the show. You're not just calling in to listen. So we are going to be voting on a new tax in November in Lane County. That's probably the big news coming out of the board meeting yesterday that I was outvoted 4 to 1 that we're putting a levy uh, – five-year operating levy on the ballot to support our park system. And it's a fairly small 16 cents per thousand um, levy. It's not, I mean, the average homeowner, I think it's 40 bucks a year or something is they're predicting. Um, but, I, you know, I have a real problem. You've heard me talk in the last couple of Bo's Nose shows about the DA's office. And then in, in general about why what's happening in the DA's office is happening and what's coming down the pike as far as public safety in Lane County if things don't change in a hurry up in Salem and in Washington, D.C. I've explained how the state of Oregon has slowly, you know, required counties to do more and provide more services and adhere to 
stricter rules and, and have higher costs, yet at the same time they keep reducing the percentage of, of support they had for the programs they mandated us to actually provide, whether it's our assessment and taxation fund, you know, um, work that we do where we collect taxes for, you know, about 80 other districts, and we don't charge those districts. We collect their taxes, and then we distribute it back out to them. State used to provide 70% of the support. It's down to 30%. Our elections office, very similar issues there. They provide very little support and keep piling on more requirements for our elections office to adhere to and adding more people to the voter rolls through motor voter. You know, it just goes on and on. The list of things they keep doing are parole and probation services that they don't adequately fund but require us to provide. And now they're even pushing some of our mental, the mental health work from the state hospital system that OHA was actually required to provide down into the county level. Um, and not providing as adequate funding to do the, do that work. So over and over and again, they're, they're, and the DA's office, they used to provide uh, you know some of the funding for, now they barely provide any of the funding. In fact, it's less than the cost of the elected DA's half of her compensation, basically is what the state, that's the only thing they contribute to our DA's office. So, it's gotten really bad. We have to dedicate almost all of our, our general fund to public safety and assessment, taxation, and elections, and these other mandated, you know, public health and other mandated functions. And we can't support our parks with any general fund money, and never, and we haven't in, in a long, long time. So that's why the parks get starved for money and why they've gotten so far behind on maintenance and capital work and why they need funding. I will not deny that our parks desperately need a new revenue source. My question is, should I be asking some senior citizen on a fixed income to pay more property taxes for a non-essential function? Parks is not essential to your life. Being able to have a deputy respond to an emergency call is a lot more essential. Being able to actually prosecute, lock up, put away, supervise a criminal that had been victimizing you is pretty essential. Running elections, collecting taxes for the school districts and fire districts around the county, that's pretty essential. Being able to go to your local swimming hole, not necessarily essential. It's a nice to have, not a have to have. So if I'm going to ask grandma to cough up more money every year in something that's probably her biggest tax, her biggest bill of the year because she may have paid off her house and her property tax bill is probably enormous to her. If I'm going to ask her to add more to that, I'm going to ask her to add more for a critical, essential service of government. But even then, what I'm doing is letting the state legislators off the hook for their responsibility to fund the programs they mandate us to provide on their behalf. 
like I said, the first words that the prosecutor says from the DA's office, from the county DA's office when they will come into court and they're recognized by the judge, is the state charges. Not Lane County, the state. They're working on behalf of the state. So understanding that, and then secondary to that, we built our park system in the 60s and 70s with timber money from federal lands. Lane County was a wash in cash. That's how we built this incredible park system, bought property, built facilities. All the marinas out at Fern Ridge didn't exist until the 60s and 70s. And Baker Bay, and, and there's so many parts of our park system that were all built during those years when we were getting timber receipts because we had enough money in our general fund and we were flush in our road fund, you know, that we could support in a, an incredible public safety system, 24-hour deputies, traffic teams, full prosecution services, uh, uh, open jail, you know, the whole thing, and build an incredible park system and fund it. Along came the spotted owl. And we actually closed our parks for a year or so in 1982 because we couldn't even afford to keep the parks open, let alone maintain them. The federal government has got to resolve the issue of the lands they own in Lane County. In fact, I would be happy if they would just resolve the Oregon-California Railroad lands issue. And we can talk about U.S. Forest Service lands later because the ONC lands come directly into our general fund. And that we can use for either public safety, parks, or whatever we want to use it for. Us asking the voters to tax themselves to support a non-essential function of government is basically signaling to you know, Capitol Hill and Salem, hey, Lane County is going to solve it locally. You don't have to deal with the responsibility you have. They're going to just keep taxing the heck out of their citizens. Everybody talks about affordable housing. Property tax directly impacts housing affordability. It may be small, but it's just one more addition. And if you're renting, you're paying property tax. So all the renters out there that are going to vote yes on this, you're increasing your rent. So, you know, for me, it was, I just couldn't support it. I couldn't see asking the voters to, to tax themselves to support a non-essential service when the state hasn't met their requirements, their, their, you know, responsibilities, and the federal government hasn't. They, you know, fix those issues. And we don't have to ask you guys to tax yourselves. In fact, we could probably eliminate the public safety levy we have if they fix those issues. 
But what I'm also concerned about is we ask people for to tax themselves in November for parks. We have to renew the public safety levy next May. And we are already in dire trouble financially when it comes to longer-term public safety system here in Lane County and our finances. I'm kind of known as, as, as the budget wonk and the numbers guy on the board. And I look at these things really carefully. And we are not going in a good direction. We have four funds in our budget this year that are not structurally balanced. And what that means is we are spending more money on operational costs that are repetitive for the following budget then we have income coming in this year so we are actually going to have to draw reserves in all four of those funds to pay for ongoing costs reserves are one-time money they don't repeat and there are four funds that have that and in my mind ranked in order of priority are general fund because 70% of that goes to public safety and the other 30% goes for things like assessment, taxation, elections, public health, just some minor things there. <laughs> so our general fund is borrowing, is pulling money out of its reserves, right, this year. This budget cycle we are in right now. Our road fund is doing the same thing. And we use, we're, we're due to it, you know, the ability to use some of the federal money that comes in our road fund for sheriff's deputies. That's the only reason why we got at the way we were able to add some, some patrol deputies this last year is worth taking road fund money and spending it in the sheriff's department. And then because we still have so much road work to do, we are pulling reserves. So to me, that's the second priority because, you know, after all that public safety and, and that life and health safety issue of, of feeling safe in your own home and community, the next thing that's important to me is having a job in an economy. And economies don't function without a functioning transportation system. Just look at what COVID did in supply disruptions when the ports backed up and, and people still can't get all their parts, and things still take forever to get, appliances, et cetera. Some of that backlog starting to go away, but that's just imagine letting your, your transportation system deteriorate to the point where it's starting to impact your economy. Number two priority for me as far as distressed funds go and funds that are out of balance and borrowing from reserves. The next one for me is our land management fund. Land management department is our planning and building permits folks, kind of you know, part of the whole housing pipeline. And we've talked about the housing crisis around here and their borrowing reserves and they are structurally imbalanced. In fact, they would be worse if we hadn't taken some one-time money from our video lottery fund and transferred it into them. And then there's our parks fund that's structurally unbalanced and borrowing a little bit of reserves this year and having, having to get support from other funds. But if we shut the parks down like in 1982, would life still go on? Would there still be a state park system, a national park system, 
municipal parks. So to me, it's, it's the least important financial issue for us to resolve. And the problem is, is things, when you look a couple years out, are getting worse for us. You know, our property taxes can only grow at about 3.5% per year by statute that the people pass in initiatives, not the legislature. Measure 5 capped our permanent rate, and, and 47, 50, et cetera, limited how fast your, assessed, your taxable assessed value can grow. 3% a year is the maximum increase in your taxable assessed value, unless you did something like build an addition on your house, and then that has to be reassessed. But our costs are growing way past 3%. In fact, we're probably increasing costs in the 7 to 10% range, just like everybody else. We've had, you know, the DA, we're going to have to go back and probably, even though we settled the contract with our, with our deputy DAs and other DA staff last year, we're probably going to have to reopen that contract and increase their compensation, particularly in the senior, more senior positions where we're, we're getting poached from the, the state government that seems to be a wash in money, fix that problem. So you know, already we had done a huge raise last year. Now we're going we're gonna to open it up as, as management and tell the labor, we, we have to open up your contract because we need to give you guys more money because we can't compete. Uh, you know, that's the situation we're in right now. And almost all the labor unions are asking for significant increases and we're making huge market adjustments. So all of our labor contracts are going up way more than 3%. So, and you know, all material stuff, you know, the deputies put gas in their vehicles and so do our road guys. You know, parks guys do too. Yeah, everything costs more. Well, at the same time, we're not seeing state support keeping up with that inflation rate for the programs we have to provide. We're not seeing the federal government keep up their end of the deal for the land, the 55% of Lane County they own. And we're going to turn around and ask taxpayers to pay more taxes for a non-essential service and use up some of that voters' goodwill. And by the way, that 16 cents is going to add to the compression for those jurisdictions that are that are have a total tax rate more than ten dollars per thousand for general government compressions when you're over that they compress everybody back down to that ten dollars so that's 16 cents on areas like south lane fire district city of eugene and a few other areas around the, the county that are that are in compression it actually reduces what other people's levies are going to get not by much because 16 cents isn't a big amount, but it actually will reduce slightly what the sheriff's office would get from their levy and what everybody else is going to get. So just telling you that that's part of the whole issue here. So I, I had to vote no. And I kind of wonder whether it's really going to 
you know, they think it's going to pass, that, you know, their polling shows it's got 60% support and all that stuff. But when people really start thinking about it, and if, you know, the DA, the DA's problem's gotten worse. I mean, when she announced that she was going to stop filing some of these felonies, that was prior to the last, you know, the most recent person giving notice that they were leaving. How many, how much, how many more serious, how much more serious charges are now not going to be charged? You know, it, it's a, it's a crisis right now. And we're looking at, at the possibility of a 20% cut in our community corrections funding, which affects our parole and probation office and the sheriff's office are significantly funded by that. And other even nonprofits that get money out of that, like sponsors and emergents and a few other good nonprofits that help people stay on the straight and narrow, provide substance abuse treatment and domestic violence treatment, et cetera. All those nonprofits get funded through those programs. Some of our treatment courts and all that use that, that money. So, you know, there is a crisis coming. And I, and I just, you know, our, the register guard is useless in reporting some of this stuff. The local TV news is, is sniglets, and if it's not bleeding or a puppy, cute puppy pictures, it doesn't get on the news. Um, you know, it's, this is something that takes a minute to explain. I mean, how far are we into the program? Almost halfway through. And I haven't even stopped talking yet, you know, hardly about this, although I did kind of get distracted at first by weather and flooding and climate chaos. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, but, you know, this is a serious issue that takes some time to explain and understand, which means it's going to be, you know, people kind of turn it off in some ways. But don't start paying attention now as I'm trying to ring the bell loudly for folks. A couple of years from now, they're going to be like, why is the sheriff not doing 24-hour patrol anymore? Why can't I get a deputy? Why are we starting to hear 911 calls like that woman from Josephine County back in 2013 that called the 911 in Josephine County and was told, can she just ask him, her ex-boyfriend to go away? He was pounding on her door during the 911 call, who ultimately broke in, assaulted, choked, and raped her. Because Josephine County, after the federal government completely walked away from their federal uh, timber, you know, responsibility to counties had to cut all of their patrol, zero ability to respond to calls for a short while. And, you know, when that 911 call made national news and international news, tourism in the state of Oregon fell off significantly had reports from all over the state of people calling and canceling plans to come to Oregon after hearing that 911 call. You don't think public safety is important? And you don't want to spend the time to understand and hear this issue? We will be back in 2013, somewhere about late 2023, middle of 2023, 
or 20, summer of 2024. I predict this right now. So we're going to fiddle around and ask people to tax themselves now for a non-essential service. That's why I voted no. But I'm going to change subjects so I can maybe be a little less angry because I actually have some kind of good news about homelessness to talk about. But I'll pause and also remind folks, we are a call-in show, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 because that lets us know. Um, <laughs> Robin wants to know what this has to do with cute kittens. <laughs> okay, K-Val. Um, sorry. Sorry, I didn't say that. Um, uh, they're all so guilty of that. I guess maybe it was, I don't know if it was KVAL or, or, or KZI I was watching last night, but the, the last story was all about some German shepherd being reunited with their family after four and a half years. And I thought, you spent two minutes of your show on this when there's this kind of an issue out there? Yeah, because you don't have the time or the resources to do any investigative reporting locally and understand serious issues that are going to impact this community and desperately need to be addressed. <sighs> Sorry, got distracted. 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press one because that lets Robin, my kitten-loving producer, producer, know that you want to actually talk and not just calling in to listen to the Bo's Nose Show. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. Right now, I'm going to switch gears and talk a little bit about homelessness because we actually had an update on our homeless program. It was like a quarterly update. And we spent almost an hour talking about this at the board meeting yesterday. And we had what I consider the best presentation and road mapping of the current homeless system in Lane County. And what's interesting is we've been able to actually go from a bunch of disparate nonprofit programs that are you know, being funded you know, haphazardly here and there to actually trying to centralize and form a system of, of dealing with homelessness. And it was interesting to see where we are now. They also talked about what they want to get to to improve the system and make it work more efficiently and, and have better outcomes and the steps in how they were going to progress through to get to that system. Awesome presentation. If you go to yesterday's board agenda, which is on our website, you know, if you go, go to the Lane County website and you click government and go down like two things that says commissioner meetings, click that and then view current agenda. This, you know, as long as you do it in the next day or so, it'll be this today, yesterday's agenda and go down to that, that item about homelessness and there's view materials. The slides we were presented are actually attached to that and you can view the slideshow yourself or you can go to the commissioner's webcast and view the actual you know, um, presentation. Really good presentation. And, it, and what's great is this was something that we, you know, I helped push for a ways back 
started out with a fuse project that I pushed for heavily, which was a pilot to try and see if we could go after the most frequent flyers, so to speak, the guys that get booked in the jail the most, the guys that get arrested the most, the guys that get the most cahoots call outs, the guys that show up at the ER the most, you know, and, and put together a list of the top 50 system users, you know, emergency system users, which are high dollar and try and, you know, house them and give them intensive case management. How would that work? Because that was testing the quote housing first model. And it turned out it worked really pretty dang well. And it was costing us about $14,000 a person, you know, per person year, basically, to do that intensive case management of those frequent flyers versus if they were costing somewhere upwards of sixty-five dollars to 85000 a year in all those other services. Every time they get booked into the jail and spend a night, every time they go to the ER, every time they, a police response, you know, we figured out what that would cost. And it was a massive savings. So, you know, that was kind of the start of let's start thinking about how to be efficient and what's the best way to deal with homelessness. And that started this idea of, of having a, a consultant look at what is our system here in Lane County, try and map it and, and, and suggest some improvements. And that was the TAC um, report that people refer to quite often. And that kind of only dealt with single adult homeless people. Uh, but it did kind of, the county and the city of Eugene, hey, here's where you're lacking. And, and one of the major things was having a coordinated entry system and that's what they talked about yesterday was our court you know the adding to our coordinated entry system having a system where everybody anyone that touches a homeless person has a centralized data systems and, and we can track you know home the number of homeless people better that way because we have this centralized database and that that's working. It needs to be improved. We had we've had you know stuff and and all along you know these baby step presentations and we've had one on that data system and we actually are going to be updating that. That was one of the steps they talked about yesterday. But it was just really good to see how much progress we've made in creating a system and a system now that. They're measuring outcomes. How much have you heard me talk on the Bose Nose Show in the past about we're putting tens of millions of dollars into homeless programs and no one can tell me whether they're successful or not if we're not just plain old helping people be homeless and enabling them to continue in addiction, to continue deteriorating in the, and, and decomposing you know, composing basically mentally and their mental health issues because we've given, you know, provided them a warm place to sleep at night and meals and and other essentials to, to survive, but not dealing with their addiction, their mental health, why they're homeless, you know, and every, everything else. And it, the other portion of it is they, the report clearly indicated the most effective thing we can do is to intervene and divert people from becoming homeless in the first place. To somehow or another catch people at the point where they're, you know, being evicted or losing their their 
housing because uh, uh, a non-renewal of the lease or whatever whatever reason kicked out whatever you know by a roommate to be able to divert those people and keep them housed you know whether it's we you know we help somebody with a rent payment because they're, they they got behind in rent because they lost a job and now they're getting reemployed but they they're they couldn't keep up and their landlord's going to evict them whatever whatever it is was costing that those interventions to keep people housed were costing about $1600 a person Whereas the interventions we're doing that take a homeless person and get them into permanent housing or even temporary housing cost about ten to twelve thousand dollars a person. So what where should we be concentrating a lot of our programs? Diversion. And so you know, now we, we understand that because we're starting to measure things. The other thing is that the last half of that report, and if you go to those slides, you'll see it's kind of two different slideshows. The second slideshow was basically reporting on those outcomes. And one of those outcomes for a couple of the programs was the percentage of people that were exiting the program to temporary and permanent housing from an unhoused situation. So from the guys that are sleeping in the park to either getting in, into some kind of temporary housing situation, like a you know hotel room, whatever it is, or a permanent housing situation, like an apartment or a permanent supportive housing, group home, you name it. And no surprise, the program that actually includes case management, that you know, remember I mentioned that intensive case management, was seeing a really high success rate for homeless programs, 69% exiting to temporary and permanent housing. Where there's that sort of safe sleep sort of thing, where we, you know, kick people out in the morning and, and let them come in in the evening, a dusk to dawn program, 7%. So even if the program with the navigation case management costs three times more per person than that safe sleep program, you would still be putting three times as many people into temporary and permanent housing per dollar you're spending. Three times 7% is 21%. You know, you'd have to be, be doing, you know, with the other program. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it just, Oh my. So it, it's now kind of becoming something and I've, I've actually asked to have that costing done so I can understand is that is that safe sleep program only, you know, a tenth of the cost of the one that's getting 69% because then it then it's kind of equal dollar to dollar results wise. Because 7% 69 seven is about 10% of 69 for those that do math. 70, it would be exactly. <laughs> so it'd have to be 10 times less cost per person than the one that was getting the 69% rate. Now, I don't know how scalable the program is that was getting the 69% rate, and it was a fairly small program. But if that can be expanded with that kind of success rate, and if, it, if it's anything less than 10 times more expensive than 
the safe sleeps version. That's where we ought to be putting our money. So I was I was overjoyed at the report on homelessness yesterday in a lot of ways. One, it was great, it was informative. The staff that put it, put it forward did a great job. And it's leading to getting the data and, and decision-making ability for policymakers like county commissioners and city councilors to make better decisions where we're spending these tens of millions of dollars on trying to resolve the homeless situation. Good news. So hopefully we'll see some better decision making when it comes to where your dollars are going. Something I've been asking for for a long time and it's coming to to fruition now. So, yay! Don't say I don't have a legacy when I leave my office at the end of this term. Because I, you know, I I got challenged on that yesterday. Joe Commissioner Bernie, you know, thought you know one of the reasons why I wasn't supporting the parks levy is I really didn't care what happened after I left my office because he knows I'm probably moving to Tennessee. My reasons for moving to Tennessee are personal and family. During this last term, I've lost three direct family members: my mother and two older brothers. And Tennessee is a lot closer to my surviving brother, as well as my wife lost her father during that time period, and her sister lives less than two hours from where we're going to move. So it's personal for me why I'm leaving. It has nothing to do with anything else really than that. But I am still wanting to have a legacy. I don't want people to think of Commissioner Bozovich as, oh, yeah, he was that guy that had the radio show, the internet radio show. No, I want people to remember, and I said this yesterday, that I was one of the people that came in and fixed Lane County when it was in crisis. When I came to office, we were being sued for public meetings violations. Basically, we had to settle and Several of our commissioners had to admit to the fact that they violated public meetings law and pay fines. I was settling lawsuits with employees from from, prior to when I became commissioner that had been dealt with wrongly, including by one of the commissioners, two, actually two of them, two different employees that had been mistreated by commissioners and we were settling claims. And at the same time, as I entered Lane County, we were in a financial crisis. We had to make a 20% real dollar cut from $600 million all-fund budget to a $480 million all-fund budget. We had to take $120 million out of our budget in a single year. That's when all the deputies got cut. That's when the jail beds had to get rolled back. So that's really where things were going. And, 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 and I came in as a new commissioner, helped balance that budget that year, took on a stance that we were not going to have structurally unbalanced budgets. We weren't going to borrow from reserves because that's one of the reasons why we had to make that huge cut. The reserves had run out. 
and the prior budgets had been pulling from reserves. And we rebuilt our, our finances and we got you know higher Moody's ratings and then we got more increases in our Moody's financial bond ratings, which basically says how how financially good is your county being run and how stable are your finances. Ultimately, we were granted the highest bond rating Lane County has ever had historically, ever. From being close to bankruptcy in 2011 through 2013 to the highest bond rating. That was back about five years ago or so before the, you know, we've kind of changed our board and we've kind of gone the other direction a little bit. Started spending reserves, focusing on things that weren't priorities, uh, climate change and a few other things that, you know, we really can't have much of an impact on rather than keeping people safe day to day. So um, really can't say um, that I haven't had an impact in Lane County. I hope people will remember that portion of my legacy and the advocacy I've had for our public safety system and for Lane County up at the state and for your rights as citizens. Yeah, that's, that I hope is my legacy here in Lane County. And um, so that's, you know, Sorry, had to kind of get on that high horse a little bit, but I was really kind of upset when Commissioner Burning was trying to imply that the only reason I wasn't supporting parks was one, I didn't, you know, one, I didn't have any kids or grandkids that would be playing in those parks, so I didn't really care. And two, you know, I was leaving the county and, and didn't really care about the legacy of the county and all that stuff. It's like horse shit. Sorry, I almost said that yesterday. And good thing we're internet broadcasting because it's legal. <laughs> But I was I was angry uh, when that that accusation came across because I really strongly hope to leave a legacy in Lane County, a legacy. And you have to remember, I also came in with the 2008 housing crisis and the economy, and it was about rebuilding Lane County's economy. And we fought to get jobs like the the call center here in Veneta that, you know, at the time seemed like a miracle to get those couple hundred jobs here in Veneta and, you know, helping out Cosmo corn up in junction city and, and several other businesses, uh, Peterson uh, uh, hats or um, embroidery, whatever it is that does the hats up in, in Coburg and everything we could do to try and make Lane County successful economically too, at that time and the hard work we did to, to rebuild Lane County's economy. So, you know, hopefully people will remember that. And not just that I was against the parks levy at one point, but there's a re you know, I've explained some of my reasons why. But also that I started pushing for outcome membership, men, you know, measurements for homeless programs and ultimately being able to do the analysis to decide how to spend our homeless dollars and be successful in doing so. So hopefully those are my legacies. Moving on, and I'll pause a minute and take a deep breath. Once again, 
646-721-9887. Let me say that slowly, 646-721-9887 is the number to call in to get in on the show and press one because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to talk and you're not just calling in to listen. And we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But if you don't call in, I'm going to talk about COVID for just a minute. I know people are so tired of COVID. But we had a COVID update, and we're not doing them as very as often as we used to because, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's simmering out there. But we are still seeing a very high rate of transmission of COVID out in the community. That BA5 variant is highly transmissible, yet it's not as um, serious of a disease. It, it's lost some of its virility, and, and whether that's the fact that a lot of people have developed natural immunity from prior exposures uh, that may have been asymptomatic to um, the fact that um, we've got people that are vaccinated that provides a certain amount of reduction in harm or when you do get the virus, um, but people are still getting it a lot. I know. I got it. Elizabeth got it. You know, Bill London at KPNW got the virus. <laughs> it goes around. But, you know, uh, one of the things I kind of asked yesterday, and I, I, didn't, I still don't think I got a very good answer, was why are we knowing that the virus has gotten that transmissible and is airborne versus aerosol-borne? Which means, you know, aerosol-borne means it's attached to it the spray in your your speech and your breath versus airborne, you know, which means it defeats all cloth masks, can't do a damn thing about stopping COVID. They're useless. Face shields are useless to stop COVID transmission. Yes, some particulate and aerosol get stopped by both of those devices, but it's it, virtually almost useless. Ill-fitting surgical masks and KN95s that, that your breath gets around, which means if you're glass like, like me and you've got a nose like mine and no mask really fits tight and my glasses fog, those could be virus particles going right around my mask. It's more about, and, and I, they did give one good answer, ventilation is a key. Good ventilation, you know, so that's going to be around people. Being around people outside is the best, probably. If you're going to be around people, being a place that's got good ventilation, which, by the way, most restaurants do because they have kitchens that are usually required to have huge fans over their stoves and fryers, et cetera. <laughs> they suck a lot of air through, air through restaurants. Believe me. I used to manage them. But that was one of the places they closed during COVID. I digress. But, you know, they, they really didn't have a good answer about that, you know, because one of the things I pointed out is we had a staff member presenting to us a couple weeks ago who's got this magnificent full beard. I mean, just this macho, bristly thing. And he had on a KN95 over that full beard, which didn't fit at all. You knew he was, you know, breath was going around the mask. He was hardly breathing through the mask at all. You couldn't see the mask move or anything. It's like, why bother? 
it makes people feel good more than anything. You know, I didn't get a good answer to that, but yeah, so I, if they try and go back to mask mandates, I am going to be uh, fighting that strongly because there, there's no studies that show it's having any significant reduction in, in the spread. Of course, it has done a lot to make you know, people that read lips have trouble in, the, in society. It has done a lot to make children really scared and paranoid and impacted their mental health quite a bit. Making children wear masks all the time. Oh gosh, that tell me you're not frightening them. And then you you know have, have a kid have a meltdown if somebody gets too close to them in the grocery store that's not wearing a mask because their parents have scared the crap out of them about COVID. When children are the least likely to have any serious illness from getting the disease. Huh. Okay, sorry. Off of the COVID stuff, I'm going to move on. <laughs> I have one last thing I wanted to get to here on the Bozno show because it's an sort of an I told you so. It seems like suddenly the River Road Santa Clara neighborhood finally figured out what the hell the city of Eugene and LTD were doing with moving ahead because they kept talking about moving ahead and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I want to move ahead. That sounds all, you know, sunshine and, and, and rainbows and unicorn farts. You know, um, yeah, it just, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where they slap a name on something that sounds great. What they weren't telling people was it was going to take a lane away from River Road for vehicles in each direction. <laughs> People started figuring that out recently, and oh my gosh, they went nuts. In fact, to the point where they actually recalled Claire Surrett, the city councilor. And they, they're pressuring, you know, Commissioner Farr heavily to take a stance against it, even though the county didn't have a role in adopting moving ahead. It was purely the city of Eugene and LTD brainchild brought to you by the same people that want nine roundabouts. Yeah, <laughs> I've said that before. It's this whole anti-car planning where they want to create congestion and force you to live in high-rise multifamily buildings on bus routes where they can control you because they control the mass transit system. And they control the food distribution systems and everything else that is involved in, in high-density mass transit dependent cities they want to control you but that said i've been ringing the bell this goes back to not having a local media that's worth a damn but i rang that bell how long ago on the bose nose show about moving ahead said don't be fooled this is not what it sounds like they want to cause congestion pay attention folks Talk to your city council and all that stuff. Send them letters. Well, now that they've adopted the plan, well, the, the, the concept, now the, the, the furor erupts. So I just had to spend a minute to say, told you so. I'm telling you now about public safety in Lane County's budget. The same warning bell. I'm trying to get the message out there. Pay attention, folks. For those of you that are now upset about 
moving ahead and Amex going in on River Road. And everyone else that's watching that unfold with the recall of Councillor Surrett, pay attention. I'm telling you now, Lane County's public safety system will be in crisis in a couple of years if things don't change. You need to be talking to Senator Manning, Representative Fahey, Senator Prozanski, all of the local people, John Lively, everyone that's local. If you're out on the coast, you need to be talking to Boomer, right? We need to get the state to step up to their responsibilities in funding county services. With this wild, you know, record-setting revenues they're getting because of the hidden 1% sales tax they passed a few years ago called the corporate activities tax because of all the other taxes they've been passing, like the taxes on hospitals that's funding the Oregon Health Plan that people probably may not be aware of. They need to step up. People also need to be contacting whoever wins Congressman DeFazio's seat or Congressman DeFazio before he leaves office, Senator Wyden and Senator Merkley, and tell them they have got to finish fixing the ONC Lance issue. There was a decent proposal five years ago to set up a trust of those lands where there would be a fiduciary responsibility to the counties to provide the necessary funds and setting that trust up with enough reserves where the income generated from investing that money would pay the counties that that replacement dollars that are necessary or timber harvest would or combination of the two. It was a great resolution to a difficult problem, but it kind of got stalled, particularly when our Lane County commissioners became progressive and they pulled away from that plan and a membership in the ONC Counties Association. People need to pay attention and take care of those things, or you're going to be like moving ahead and surprise. Look at the crisis. I'm telling you now is the time for action on public safety in Lane County, or in two years, you're going to be wishing you had been putting pressure on people. With that, I want to thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. I know I've been ranting a lot the last couple of weeks, but my gosh, I couldn't say it more strongly about what I'm seeing in the tea leaves, what I know about how our state funding is calculated for a parole system and how we're going to see a potential cliff coming there, how they've been slowly reducing our funding for other services, how our costs are escalating through the roof it won't work. How we're already borrowing money from one-time reserves. Well, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, maybe with a more cheerful edition because the board's not meeting next week. So I might have other things to talk about. Maybe we might talk about roosters and music. That's a whole other topic. We'll be back next week at 4 p.m. Pacific, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Have a great week.